1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I've got handouts there on the table if you want to take a, a look and follow along. My title for this lesson is a little odd. It's The Eye of the Tiger. All right, The Eye of the Tiger, and I'm not talking about the eyes, that, uh, the, the dots that are on the back of the ears of a tiger that when that tiger is about to attack, okay, and he shows you those eyes, I'm not talking about those, but I'm talking about the eye of the tiger that came from the great 1982 film. I think there's probably a few I see around here that may not even have been alive then. The night eight, 1982 film, Rocky Three. right? Come on. So we're going to have a little fun, and I'm going to show you a video of Eye of the Tiger. So I was a huge Rocky fan. When I was a kid, I drank the raw eggs. I did all of it, all right? Like when I saw Rocky drinking those raw eggs, I'm like, I want to be like Rocky, so I'm going to drink those eggs. I'm going to get up 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to go run. I bought into the whole thing, all right? And, and was there anybody more scary than Mr. T in that movie? Oh, my gosh, wasn't he? I mean, when he did those, uh, those pull-ups with, his, you know, with the rope and his fingers, you remember that? That was unbelievable. Great movie, right? Do you remember Rocky III? Do you remember kind of the, the story? It, Rocky had been a heavyweight champion for a long time, and he got soft, you know, made a bunch of money and moved into a nice house, and then here comes this guy named Clubber Lang, and he kills him, just knocks him out in about three seconds. You know, he was a little soft, though. But then what happened after that? Apollo Creed, everybody knows Apollo, right? He was a great champion that... That Rocky took down in the first Rocky and the second Rocky. So Apollo comes along and he helps him. He takes him back. He says, listen, you got to get back to your roots. I'm going to take you back to the streets of L.A. where I trained. And, you know, they got to business, right? They, they got refocused and, you know, he got passionate again. And then what happens? He comes back and he wins the fight. So why in the world, though, am I talking about Rocky Three and showing a video and naming this lesson Eye of the Tiger? Well... For this simple reason, okay, is that Rocky and the Apostle Paul had one really important thing in common. And that's this. They would do whatever it takes to win. They would do whatever it takes to win. Now, winning may be defined a little differently though, right? I mean, winning, if you're Rocky, meant you had to take down this guy named Clubber Lang. Sounds kind of easy, but not really. How would you define winning if you're Paul, if you're us, if you're a Christian? How do you define winning in life? Well, lots of ways, right? 
You know, are you being a witness? Are you preaching and proclaiming the good news? You know, how's your, how's your time with Christ and God alone? You know, are you reading your Bible? Are you in prayer? Lots of ways that we could measure, are you winning? You know, but both of these guys, Apostle Paul and, and Rocky, they would just do whatever it takes to win. Whatever it takes. And they both of them, if you think about it, really, they could have coasted onto the finish line, right? Rocky could have just said, hey, you know, I don't want it anymore. I'm just going to live out my time. I'm going to coast on my past and live in my nice, fancy house. And, you know, could have just coasted on to the finish line. Same, same really with Apostle Paul, too, right? He could have coasted on. He could have been... You know, he wasn't living in a mansion, but he was waiting for a mansion in the sky. You know, he could have coasted his way into heaven, but he didn't. Why? And the same reason as Rocky, he had this burning desire, this burning passion inside of him to win, to win for Jesus. I mean, if you study the life of Apostle Paul, you just see this. He, he was just obsessed with living for Christ, obsessed with living for Christ, and both him and Rocky, they would do whatever it takes. And it didn't matter the cost. It didn't matter the sacrifice. It didn't matter how hard they would have to work. They just did it because they wanted it so, so bad. So they had a lot more in common than you would think, okay? And even, even Apostle Paul, you know, he likes, he likes a good fight and he likes a good race too, right? Remember Second Timothy, what did he say? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Well, we talk about fighting a little bit in this chapter. We talk about a race in this chapter. And uh, I think we can learn a lot about this race of life, about maybe what it takes to win at this race of life. So that's what I want us to look at tonight. Okay, and there's really, I think we can pull from this four truths. You know, four things really that, that will help us that if we can really apply in our own life and really consider, okay, it's going to help us to, to be like Rocky. To be like Paul. So we're going to start looking here in verse 1. And as we go through these four things, I want you to just to remember this. There's always, always, always a cost of winning, isn't there? Yeah. Nothing's free. So with each point as we go down this, okay, just remember that, that there's a cost. With each point, there's a cost. So number one, what's the first truth we can learn there? Paul had to overcome doubters. Paul had to overcome doubters. Let's look in verse 1, chapter 9. It says, I am not free. Am I not free? I'm sorry. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. This is my defense. Paul had all kinds of doubters. Rocky had doubters too. Remember after he lost, they were all saying, you're washed up, you're a has-been, you can't do it. Okay, Paul, if you just, again, study his life, you'll see that over and over again, people were doubting him. I mean, if you go all the way back to when he came back to Jerusalem and he met the disciples in Jerusalem, what'd they say? We don't believe you. We don't believe you've been changed. They were doubters. And what did he do? He went out and preached the gospel all over Jerusalem were doubters. They doubted Paul also. If you turn over and you looked in Acts chapter 21, when he wanted to go to Jerusalem and he had his brothers there with him, okay, brothers in Christ, and they said, no, you can't go. You're going to get killed. 
They doubted him. They doubted his motives and why he was going and what he said. No, no, no. I'm going because the will of God has to be done. So lots of doubters in Paul's life, okay, that he had to overcome. This, this church here in Corinth we've been studying about, we know they were doubting Paul all the time, right? We did a, we did a lesson of several weeks ago on how to react when you're under attack, and that's because they were attacking him over and over and over again. But what does Paul do when he's attacked here? He's, he says, this is my defense, but what does he go, go back to? He goes back to the power and the presence of Jesus. Look at this. He goes back to the power and the presence of Jesus. He says, am I not an apostle? You know what an apostle is? Okay, an apostle is someone that is sent. All right, it's someone that is sent, and, and the power they receive is from the one who is sending them. All right, so an apostle was being sent by Christ, had the power of Christ. He's telling them, listen, am I not an apostle? Am I not carrying with me the power of Jesus Christ? Yes, I am. And we do too, right? We carry the power of Christ inside of us. And then what else did he say? He says, he says have I not seen Jesus our Lord? That's, that's pretty good right there, right? If that's going to be a comeback. I mean, even in this time, not that many people had seen and been firsthand witness to, to Christ. Even in this, in this day and age when he's writing this, you know. So he's saying, listen, you know, not only do I have the power of him, I've been with him. I've been with him. I've had his presence. I know what the presence of Christ is like. So you don't doubt me when I tell you what I'm going to do. You don't doubt me whenever I'm running hard at Christ, okay? And that's what we all have. We have that same power and presence of Christ in our life every single day, every day. I mean, does anybody in here have any doubters? You ever had any doubters in your life? Had some doubters in your life? I know I've had some doubters in my life. You know, sometimes those doubters actually can be the ones that that's supposed to be the ones that are supporting you. Sometimes you can get doubters even amongst your Christian brothers and sisters, right? I mean, I always look, uh, you know, just to the one, one of the more extraordinary stories in the Bible to me is the one where they're in the upper room and, and Peter's there with, with the rest of the disciples and Jesus. And you remember, Jesus is starting to tell them about his mission. Starting to say, listen, I've got to go, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be murdered, I'm going to be tortured, and I have to do this because that's the only way that, that you can be saved. And, and what does Peter say? You know, he says, he pulls him aside. He says, no, 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 no. Lord, what are you talking about? You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't carry out Father's will. And, and, and what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Always doubters. There's always doubters, but what we've got to do is we've got to overcome that, right? We've got to overcome the doubters with the power and with the presence of Christ. That's what Paul's doing here. He's not, it's not in his own strength that he's, he's saying this. He's saying, listen, my defense is Christ. It's a pretty good defense, isn't it? All right, point number two. What's the truth number two? Paul had to give up his rights. Paul had to give up his rights. Let me read for us there in verse four. It says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? As do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same things? He's talking about the Old Testament. For is it not written that in the law of Moses you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain? Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? 
It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the threshers thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve it at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So what does he say there? He says, nevertheless, this whole chapter, this whole section of verse here is talking about that he has the right to get paid for basically being a minister. He's a paid pastor. Okay, he's a paid pastor and he has this right. But what's he saying there in, in that verse uh, uh, 12? He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. I'm not taking the money. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And why? Because we have endured anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. He's willing to sacrifice. He's willing to give up the money if that's what it takes to win. You know, we talked about this. I kind of beat this to death last week uh, when I was teaching about just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right, And we were talking about, you know, just because you can technically have the right to do something, maybe you shouldn't do it. Maybe you should sacrifice because that's what it takes to win. And we talked a little bit about drinking, about wine, you know, about causing your brother to stumble maybe because you had a glass of wine, even if it was okay. Maybe it's not okay because maybe you need to sacrifice so that you can win at life, oddly enough. And you know, God has a funny sense of humor. I went this week. I was in Alabama for the week. I had meetings after meeting after meeting. And the very first meeting I went to was some Christian brothers. And what do you think they did? They had a glass of wine. <laughs> I was like, wow, what are you trying to tell me, God? It was kind of an interesting uh, time. But lots of times we have to sacrifice, right? We have to give up things. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying. He's like, listen, I, I'm willing to give up the money if that's what it takes because of whatever happens and whatever happens to me. The one thing that I want is for you to hear the gospel. I want you to know and live out the gospel in your life, no matter what that takes. And it was, it was similar to what Rocky did, right? He had this nice, nice lifestyle. And what he said, I'll, I'll go back to the streets. I'll do whatever it takes, okay? I'll sacrifice my good. I'll sacrifice what I have. I'll sacrifice my things. I'll sacrifice my needs. I'll do anything, anything to win, anything to win, to show you and share the gospel with you. That's the way I want to live my life, I can tell you that. And this week I thought about it as I was, you know, traveling around and, and working and trying to get ready for this lesson. And the only block of time I had really was from about 10 o'clock Wednesday night till Thursday morning. So what did I do? Stayed up all night and worked on the lesson. Sacrifice. I'd rather not sleep, to be honest with you, if it means getting in the way of doing what I love to do, which is stand up here and teach. So life is about sacrifice, isn't it? And especially if you want to be a winner, it's all about sacrifice. Number three, the third truth. Okay, Paul had to get in the game. Jared mentioned this tonight, talking about getting in the game. All right, and this is some of the most misunderstood scripture in the Bible, starting in verse 19, for Though I am free from all, 
I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. I've become a Jew, I've become a Gentile, I've done whatever it takes to win. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Too many people uh, interpret this scripture as being a compromise. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about, you know, are you compromising? Is Paul compromising? It's because he's, he's becoming a Jew, becoming a Gentile. It makes it sound like he's, he's giving in to their lifestyle. But that's not what this is about, is it? This is not about a compromise. This is about participation. This is about participation. This is, this is, this is, this is about you can't, you can't help, you can't serve, you can't be in somebody's life, okay, from, from way back here, all right? You got to get in the game. You got to get in the game, right? You can't, you're not going to do anybody any good just by watching, by being a spectator, by being on the sidelines, Okay, you're not going to do any good just sitting back, you know, hoping somebody else does something to win. You got to get in the game, right? You're never going to win unless you get in the game, unless you're willing to become and be amongst the people. This is certainly the way Jesus lived, right? I mean, you lots of examples of that. I mean, what about Zacchaeus? You know, tax collector, hated man. What did Jesus do? Went to have dinner with him. Went to have dinner with him. They must have thought he was crazy, right? But what did Jesus know? He said he knew that you couldn't have dinner with a tax collector that needed Jesus unless you have dinner with a tax collector that needs Jesus. That's the only way to do it, right? That's the only way to do it. I can give you example after example of people that have lived this out in their life. My great mentor, Mike Fetchner, he was one of them. Lived it out every day of his life, okay? God rest his soul. Darren Babcock came in his footsteps down in Bontine. Yeah, I moved down there, had a great job, left a great job on Wall Street, moved down to Bonton, dedicated his life to helping others. Got in the game. Felt like he was a spectator too long. Wanted to make a difference. You know, what about Pastor Billy? What about Pastor Billy down at Outcry? Man, you know, sacrifice, getting the game, down there living, serving, being amongst the people. Man. You know, sometimes I think about that in my own life. Am I willing to do whatever it takes? Am I willing to make the sacrifice? Am I willing to, to really get in the game? I mean, I'm, I know that I'm willing to get in the game as long as I get to define the rules. Right? I mean, I know if I get to kind of set the parameters, I'm, I'm good with it. But, you know, if God's setting the parameters and maybe it's not something that I want to do, am I willing to get in the game? I mean, I'm really... Speaking to myself, because I think about this all the time, you know, do, you know, if God calls me to do something that's radical and out of the box and I don't think I can do it, am I willing? Am I willing to get in the game? You know, not sit on the sidelines, right? Because you can't make any difference and you can't, you're never going to win if you sit on the sidelines, you know? I want to live my life like, like, like Paul. I want to live my life like Mike Fetchner and like Billy like Darren, I want to be willing to do whatever it takes. I want to be willing to get in the game and do whatever is needed for Christ and for the gospel. All right. 
You know why I know that this is so important? You know why I know that it's not an option to just sit it out? You can't win unless you're in the game. Look how many times in this section that I just read that he uses the word win. I mean, five times he says win, starting in verse 19, that I might win more of them in order to win Jews, that I might win those under the law, that I might win those outside of the law, that I might win those that are weak. It's the only way to win is to get in the game. You're not going to win just watching it. Got to get in. That's how I want to live my life. That's how I want to live my life. The fourth truth, all right, the last one. Paul had to run the race of an Olympian. It's interesting, isn't it, that, uh, you know, Paul talks so much about races and these things. And part of it is probably because the Olympics ran during this time. It was you know, a sporting event right where this church took place. So it was, everybody was familiar with it. He gives us some things to think about in running this race here, okay? He gives us, I think, four, four things we should remember uh, in this last part, starting in verse 24. Let me read it to you, and we'll go through them real quick. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. There's my boxing. All right. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So I think there's four things we can learn about this race and this last thing and how to maybe be an Olympian in life running after Jesus. First thing he says there is that we must run that we may obtain the prize. We got to run to win. We got to run to win. That's what he's saying there. You know, you got a lot of Christians that aren't running to win. I mean, you know, they've, they've accepted Christ and, you know, they've got in, okay? They, they've got in, but they're not running a life to win. You know, we're certainly more spectators, a lot of us, than, than we're really in there to win. We're really doing what it takes, all these other things, the sacrifice that it takes, giving up things, you know, getting in the game. You know, something we should think about. Are we really running the race of life to win? All right. The second thing he says there, he says, every athlete exercises self-control. We need to run in control. All right, the self-control, really, what he's talking about here is, it means to control your own passions and desires. You know, it basically means stop thinking about what you want and what you need and maybe start thinking a little bit more about what God wants in your life. Right? It means really that that you're not putting your own comfort in front of winning. You're not putting your own comfort in front of winning. I mean, what happened to Rocky when he put his comfort in front of winning? He got murdered, right? (laughs) You go back and watch that movie, it was pretty brutal. Okay, that's what happens when you put your own comfort in front of God. Okay, because it's one thing that Paul's life tells us is this is not about us. Right? It's not about us. It's not about our own comfort. It's not our own desires. Okay? It's about running in control. The third thing he says there, he says, so I do not run aimlessly. Instead, we should be running with purpose. We should be running with purpose. You know, that's where he says, says that we uh, do not box as one beating up the air. No, no. We need to keep focused. Focused on the goal, the prize, Right? He tells us what the prize is. 
You know, they, he, t- he says that, that these runners that are racing in the Olympics, okay, they're running for a perishable wreath, right? They have this, you know, made out of celery, basically, and they put it on their head. And he's saying, no, 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 that's not what we're after. We're after an imperishable wreath. It's a crown. That word there, wreath, is a crown. It's a crown of righteousness, okay? Paul talks about this in other places in the Bible where he says, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going after the goal, the prize, right, which is the upward call in Christ our Lord, right? And you got to really, you got to believe that that's worth it too, don't you? You got to believe that, that heaven and that, that prize, that crown of righteousness that you're going to get one day, you got to believe it's worth it. Because if you don't believe it's worth it, then what? You're not going to, you're not going to run after that prize, are you? All right, you got to believe it's worth it. It's why, it's why I always, always, always recommend that people go get a book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven and read that book because most people don't understand heaven. I make my kids read it all the time because I want them to know that heaven is where you want to be. Okay, that, 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 is, that is the ultimate prize. Sometimes we think of it, though, as being you know, something that's bad or that maybe it's not going to be any fun, right? No. No, I love it. He says in there, you know, in that book, Randy says, he always gets the question, well, gosh, am I going to know people in heaven? Am I going to know my family? He's like, well, do you think you're going to be dumber in heaven? No. No. It's a great book. It'll open your eyes. It'll, it'll set your focus on, on the goal, okay, because that's what it's all about. It's about running after that goal, and if you believe in that and you accept it for the goodness it is, you're going to want it. You're going to want it. And, and it's not just coasting across the finish line. Is it? I mean, that's not, the, that's not what we should be trying to do. We should be trying to win at this race. That's what Paul's encouraging you to do, to win at this race. Fourth thing he says in there is he says, but I discipline my body. You want to run for distance. You want to run for distance. Okay, what that discipline is talking about there is it's really, it's, it's training your body. It's overcoming the flesh. Paul never wanted the flesh to get in the way of winning the race, right? He never wanted the flesh to get in the way of winning the race, all right? This is about training. This is, and how do we train to win as a Christian? It's about prayer. It's about God's word, right? Okay, it's about discipleship, all right? It's about your quiet time. that's That's how you get strong. That's how you prepare your body for the long haul. You know, really, when you looked at Rocky compared to, like, Mr. T and someone, Hulk Hogan and one of them, he wasn't that big of a guy, but he trained hard, right? They talk about Paul as being this small in stature. I don't know if that's true. He seemed pretty tough when I watched that Bible movie when he was going around. I was kind of scared of him. But they say he was small in stature. But you know what? He trained hard. He worked hard. Not easy, right? Okay? But they wanted to be prepared and conditioned because what he say? He said, lest that we be disqualified. He doesn't want to be able to have to fail because he's not ready. He doesn't want to fail because he's not prayed up and he's, he's not been reading his Bible and he's not got on the armor of God. Okay, he, he wants to train for the long haul. Be prepared and be ready. You know, spiritually ready. You know, like I said, it's not easy, but it's rewarding, isn't it? You know, and, it, and sometimes people want to think that, that it's the, the fear of failure. You've heard people say that will drive people, and I've never found that to really be true. You know, the fear of failure usually drives you into depression. That's what it does. But you know what actually does drive winners? If you look at athletes, it's the taste of victory, right? It's the taste of victory. The reason Rocky had, had to keep going and fighting is because he had been up there before, he had tasted that victory before. 
Same with Paul. You know, he even says as much here in, in verse, I think it was 23, he says there, he says that I may share with them in its blessings. He's doing this because he's sharing in this also. You get a taste of, of the gospel and God's grace and you just want more. You know, you get out sharing your faith with others and you just want more. You get out discipling others and seeing changed lives and you just want more, right? I don't know how many people in here have ever had somebody that they've been able to lead to Christ, but boy, it is the most amazing thing that you'll ever be a part of. And when you do it once, you know what? You're going to want more. You're going to want more. The Bible says that in Christ, we get that grace abounds in grace. It's grace upon grace. It just keeps piling up. We get more grace and more grace and more blessings and more blessings. And the more we get out there and win and we taste it, what do we do? We work harder. We sacrifice more. We serve more because we want that feeling. We want that blessing. We want that taste. You know, I told you like that, that this week for me was kind of a hard week. And it was really for no reason other than I was just crazy, crazy busy and had a schedule that I just couldn't keep up with. And I was getting run down and beat down and, and, and tired and just, you know, just feeling sorry for myself. That's what I was doing. And uh, then last night came. And I was at my mom's house and uh, we were having Thanksgiving dinner. And we're going to put up a picture because I got to see a guy. His name's Mike. Okay, and Mike, a lot of you guys will identify with. I'm the handsome one on the left, okay? The other one's Mike. I got to eat dinner and have Thanksgiving with Mike. Okay, Mike has had a tough time. He's addicted to heroin and was just, you know, almost dead, really. And uh, we were able to work with him and help him and pray for him and, and, and get him into a treatment facility back where my parents live, got him a place to live, and now, I mean, he's got a job that's probably within the top 5% paying jobs in that whole area. He stopped smoking, he stopped doing drugs, he's going to church, he's in a little small group. So you know what it did for me? It just re-energized me, right? Because I got to see that blessing, blessed my life. All right, I got fired up. I was going back listening to the Rocky thing again, the eye of the tiger. I wanted more. I just want to do more of that and more of that and more of that. Because that's what happens, right? That's what happens whenever you, whenever you get in the game, when you're actually working at winning. And you get the blessing of God, the grace of God. You're going to want more of it and want more of it and want more of it. And you're going to run harder at it. You're going to be willing to sacrifice more, right? Okay, you're going to be able to willing to give up more. It's just the way it works. But we have to be careful though, right? Because what happened uh, to Rocky when he lost that desire, that hunger, that what Apollo called the eye of the tiger? He just got killed, right? He had to regain it. That's what happens in life. That's what happens in life when you, when you, when you kind of rest and take a break and you forget about God and maybe you're not running after it with the same enthusiasm you know, and hey, I, nobody's perfect, right? And I'm just going to take some time off. Focus on myself a little bit. Be careful. Be careful. You know, that's when, the, that's when Satan likes to come in and attack, doesn't he? That's when he wants to come in and attack. It's when you kind of take that break. You know, every day when we wake up, we need to be telling ourselves, listen, we're going we're gonna to get in the game today. We're going to run hard at this today. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to sacrifice 
We're going to give it all. Whatever it takes today, we're going to win for Jesus. And whatever that looks like. Amen? All right. I love that song, by the way. We got, the next time we got to get it louder, though. I mean, if it's just got the sound. I can't get the sound loud enough on those videos, right? All right. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, this night. Lord, thank you for just your word and how it speaks to us. God, I'm just always so just amazed, uh, Lord, at just what we can learn and God, how you speak to our hearts if we'll just, if we'll just allow you that opportunity. Lord, I pray, God, for all of us, Lord, in our daily walk, Lord, in this race of life that Paul talks about so often, Lord, I pray, God, that, that we would run after it with everything we have, God. I pray that in all we do, God, Lord, we, our, our sole focus would be to win for Jesus. Whatever that means for our life, Lord, I pray that our sole focus would be to win for Jesus. And, Lord, I pray that you would just give us great strength and your power and your presence, Lord, in all that we do. God, I thank you for each person here, Lord, and I pray, God, your tremendous blessings on their life. In Jesus' name, amen.